Hey, Camp Kids. Welcome back to the Camp Kids Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Bob, and I'm on a mission to bring together a community of camp people from all around the world. Whether you are currently in your camp experience or it's been a while since you've been at camp, when you're with us, you're at home. In this week's episode, we meet Katie, who has a plethora of experience at 4-H camps. Katie has started going to camp when she was little and quickly flew up the teen leadership ranks all the way up to song leader. Katie worked on staff for many summers and even extended her summers to continue to work on the property which held the state police camp. Katie is a third generation camper from her home camp, which is a 4-H camp in Delaware, and is excited to continue to pass on the tradition. Katie works for Montgomery County 4-H, which is in Tennessee, and helps provide the youth in her area with an incredible camp and just youth development experiences. This episode is part one of our conversation because we dive deep into not only what resident camp looks like in 4-H, but also what the organization looks like in general. So be on the lookout for next week where we drop part two of our conversation. So without further ado, let's meet Katie. Katie, welcome to the Camp Kids podcast. We're so excited to have you here with us today. Let's have you start off by telling us who you are and where you're speaking to us from today. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. My name is Katie Kimbrough. Um, I'm actually just speaking to you from my house today. I reside in Erin, Tennessee, which if you're familiar with Tennessee is about an hour and 15 minutes northwest of Nashville. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, let's dive into your camp experience. Did you go to camp as a camper before you became a staff member? Career as a 4-H'er, I guess. I actually grew up in Delaware, the state of Delaware, not not a city. A lot of people ask me, where's that at? But I have to explain to them, hey, I actually grew up in the little tiny state of Delaware. But camp has actually been a part of my life for total about 25 years And I got involved in the 4-H program in my home county when I was about eight years old. And so the first version of a camp that I got to go to was called Sussex County Younger Member Weekend. And that was held at a local state park, which was just a weekend retreat that was put on by the 4-H, what we called junior leaders, which was just teens anywhere from 12 to 19. And they were the leaders in my county. And they would hold this weekend for the younger members eight to 11 to come to. So that was kind of my first taste of a camp-like setting. But then when I turned 10, it was 1996, I attended the very first experience for myself for Delaware 4-H state camp, which was a statewide camp. It was open to any 4-H'er that was enrolled in 4-H in Delaware. The camp is located at a camp called Camp Barnes. That's in Frankfort, Delaware. Um, So I did that from 1996 to 2003 as a camper, because in 4-H in Delaware, you could be involved from the time you were eight until you were 19. And then when I became a teen leader, I got to then be on the team that put on Younger Member Weekend, as well as various other weekend events and overnight retreats and summer day camps. And then from about 2005, I was a junior counselor at our environmental camp for Delaware 4-H. So that was my... Mostly my camper experience with Delaware 4-H. A lot of just um, really good times going to camp. Um, I keep hearing it on the podcast. You know, it feels like home. And it felt like home, you know, always. That's why I kept returning. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's quite an array of camper experience, too. Now, I want to make sure I understand this correctly. All of your camper experience was 
either weekends or day camp experience. Was there any like residential summer experience in there as well? So the state 4-H camp was like a week long camp. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So you guys stayed overnight. You did the whole. Right. Very cool. That's awesome. Well, I was looking through the information that you sent me and you, or maybe this is a staff member question. Leader as a team leader or as a staff member? Um, I guess realistically both. Okay. Um, we get to be song leaders. Um, when we were assigned as teens, everybody kind of got a job and that was my job as a teen leader. But then also when I became a staff member for 4-H camp, I was asked to be the song leader. And so I was on staff for Delaware 4-H camp from 2004 to 2007. And so that was, I got to do that as well as, and a lot of different roles as well because we didn't have a large staff there were maybe about 15 of us total and so we kind of had to everybody had to you know all hands on deck absolutely well the song leader position would be like my ideal position as like a music teacher so can you kind of dive into what were some of the tasks and duties involved in that camp song leader was just a, a small part of my role but as the camp song leader especially with Delaware State Camp and pretty much any 4-H camp that I did as a kid growing up, it was just very song. Like everything we did, we sang songs. When we went to um, our assemblies, we sang songs. If you received a package, you had to sing a song to get your package. When we stood in line for all our meals, you had to sing before you went into the dining hall. When we went into the dining hall, you couldn't sit down to eat until you sang grace. And then of course being the song leader, you got to sit on council rock every night around the campfire with our director of camp, um, and help lead the campfire program. Wow. And was that every night? So we had council circle every night, except for Wednesday night. And then on Friday night was our like big, what we called high council. There was a lot more that went into that, a very more revered time. Okay. I love that you're diving really deep into this. I'm so curious to know about the council and the high council and all of that sort of good stuff. But before we get there, I want to make sure that I've captured your staff experience with everything that you've done. What other positions and stuff did you have as a camp staff person? Okay. So with 4-H camp in Delaware, I was a cabin counselor. I taught a variety of classes over the years. I taught sports and games, performing arts, kayaking, canoeing, crafts. We do something called camp tradition history class where they kind of learn the history behind why we do the things we do and why we sing the songs we sing. And then foods and nutrition, outdoor cookery was one, but definitely my favorite role at that camp was definitely being the song leader. After I left Delaware camp, I got to go in 2008 to attend West Virginia 4-H older members conference. Um, So that's their 4-H camp. And that was held at Jackson's Mill in Weston, West Virginia. And I got to serve on their staff. And I did so as an exchange counselor. So I didn't actually go and apply to be on staff there. I just reached out to their program director and was like, hey, I'm really interested to know what your camp's about. Can I come for a week? And they were like, absolutely. We need somebody else to fill a staff role. Will you come? And so I was like, sure. And so I just got to do some photography for the camp and then also I got to assist with their folk dance classes, which 
is incredible. I implore you to look up West Virginia 4-H folk dances on YouTube because it's a real thing. Like it's a big time, like that's part of their Appalachian culture. So it's really interesting. After that, I came back in like 09 and then 2010, I came back to Camp Barnes, but I wasn't a 4-H counselor. So our 4-H camp, guess we leased the campgrounds for Camp Barnes, which is run by our Delaware State Police Organization. And so they actually have a residential camp that comes in after 4-H leaves. That's for six weeks. It's a camp for at-risk youth that is free for the kids that get to come. So for that, I did two years, general cabin counselor, song leader, taught outdoor education, did some ropes course. And then the second year, I was the head counselor. And so I did a few of the same things, but I was more in like an advisory role. And so I got to serve in more of a conflict resolution role with campers who were exhibiting behavioral issues, especially with the, the population that we were to help kind of, you know, get to the bottom of things. I did some day camp coordinating and some other activities with 4-H for summer programming and camps and learning after school grants. And then I actually moved to Tennessee at the end of 2011 for my career, and now I get to go to camp every summer. And we go to camp at WP Ridley 4-H Center, which is in Columbia, Tennessee. I was wondering what inspired the move from the East Coast down to Tennessee. So uh, you mentioned it was your career. Do you work currently for the 4-H organization? I do. That's exciting. What is your role? So I'm a county 4-H agent. And so I'm just in a county where I provide 4-H programming for the youth of my county. 4-H looks way different in the state I grew up in versus where I'm at now. In a lot of states, 4-H is very community-based, very similar to how Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts are, where you have a, a troop or a club that's in your community. You have like a volunteer leader. Here in Tennessee, we actually, the 4-H agents, are the ones that go in and we meet with the clubs and we train teens and we plan our camps and we plan events and do livestock shows. We work fairs, we create curriculum and provide all these opportunities for the youth in the counties. And so I've been in two different counties now, but now I'm in Montgomery County, which is Clarksville, which for anyone who might be familiar with the military is close to Fort Campbell. So I do work with a lot of military youth. No, we do have a state office. It's out of Knoxville. So every 4-H program is under what's called the land grant system. So every state has at least one land grant college in their state. Some of them have two. And ours is the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. So all of our state people are up at University of Tennessee at Knoxville. I love that you're sharing that with all of us, that there's all these different aspects. And you said now you get to go to camp every summer because of it. Every summer. Every summer I get to plan a week of camp for the kids of generally we get together like we actually just had our debrief from this year's camp and when we have our debrief we get to choose our week for the next summer so we've already are in the planning stages for 2024's summer camp week we get to choose what other counties that we want to go with we get to choose how many people we're going to try to take from our county and how many volunteers we'll also need to take from our county that's incredible So what does your role at camp look like now? So at camp now, this past year, I was a co-director. And when you are a co-director, your role is 
basically programmatic. You're more of the point person for all the fires that are going to happen during the week. You're just putting out fires basically. Um, But if you're not in a co-director role, then you are going around with your kids. You are going to stations. You're working different stations. Um, You know, you might work the pool one session. You might work the canteen one session. You might work crafts. So it depending on the day you get to sign up for, you know, whatever you're wanting to do that day and be there for all the sessions. And you also help to engage the kids in any of the evening programs that we have going on. So whether that's campfire or it's a talent show or minute to win it games, whatever it might be, um, that's all part of the planning process that the agents do. Nice. So you definitely have more of an administrative role now is what it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. Administrative, but I still (laughs) try to have all the fun in the world, even though sometimes you know, you have that homesick camper and they're wanting to call mom at 2 a.m. And that's not the fun part. Just got back from a residential camp experience in Washington. I always thought just based off of what I've seen and experienced that being an administrator at camp means that you can't have fun anymore because there's so much paperwork and there's so much, you know, parent contact and all that sort of things. And I, for the first time in my camp career, saw a camp director out in program every single day, like, doing program and right. I was like oh it can be done like <laughs> like you don't have to be wrapped up in office work you just have to know how to plan but you also have to be ready for like that homesick camper that you talked right. about or by putting out fires and you have to be ready at a moment's notice for any of that so it speaks a lot about who you are if you're able to definitely still have all the fun and I'm I'm so glad that you're still able to enjoy camp and have a career at the same time that's really truly remarkable I love that I appreciate that because sometimes, you know, most of the time I hear good comments from parents and things, but then you get that one negative comment and you're like, oh, am I doing what I'm meant to do? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I'm absolutely doing what I'm meant to do. That's wonderful. Oh, that's so great. Well, you had mentioned that you had worked for the state police camp that had housed the 4-H camp and you'd also have so much 4-H camp experience, I would love to know maybe some of the similarities and differences that you experienced working for both of those organizations. So the state police camp and the 4-H camp, being that they're held at the same exact campground, we did a lot of similar things. There were some differences in that Delaware 4-H camp was co-ed. And then with our state police camp, because there are six weeks, you would do one week of boys, one week of girls, one week of boys, and so on and so forth for the six weeks. Like if it was a girls week, the girls would be the cabin counselors and the boys would run all of the sessions. And then when it was a boys week, the boys would be the cabin counselors and the girls would run all the sessions. Yeah, they would just switch back and forth roles. So it's not like you got to, you know, when I was a doing boys week, I could just worry about my activities that I was planning and not have to worry about like the cabin part of it. But then I'd have to switch that, you know, the next week when it was a girl's week. That's so brilliant. Oh my gosh. I was talking with one of my other guests about having childcare at camp and how that could serve as sort of a break for counselors. Because when you look at a contract, I mean, if you're a cabin counselor, you're probably doing eight to nine weeks straight of that. And that can really wear you down. Right. So to be able to have that built-in break is just 
brilliant. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I hope that some people who are listening that are also camp professionals can be like, maybe that'll get some wheels turning for them to be like, oh, maybe we can rework some things here that just program naturally allows them to have a breather and to be able to get re-energized so that they can make the full commitment all summer long. It's so important. It's so important to take the breaks. I know that at camp, you're on the go and you're always thinking about the camper, but it's always important to kind of just step back and breathe because, you know, you got to take care of yourself too. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was there any other similarities or differences you wanted to point out between the two organizations that you worked for? I mean, that was pretty much it. They borrow a lot from each other because they are at the same camp. We do have a little bit of overlap too. We've had several counselors that were you know, 4-H counselors, and then they decided, hey, I think I want to do this for the rest of the summer, and they come on over and, and do um, full summer of the Delaware Police Camp. So there's just a lot of collaboration would be a good word for that. Cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I appreciate it. Well, I kind of wanted to dive into 4-H camp. You mentioned okay. something about the councils, and there's one that's more mm-hmm. reserved and one that's revered and I would love to hear about all of that. (laughs) I'm going to refer to Delaware 4-H camp because this is not how we do it in Tennessee. Tennessee is very much like you go to camp, do your activities, there's different sessions throughout the day and you kind of just rotate through those sessions throughout the day and then there's evening programs planned. Very much like a general just regular camp I would say. 4-H camp in my experience was such a different world. When you went there, the very first year you were there, there's four groups plus a counselor group. And when you are a first year camper, you get to pick out of a hat what group you are in. And you are in that group for the entirety of the years and time that you come to 4-H camp. So once you're in that group, there's about 20 to 25 kids in a group. And I should also tell you, there are two weeks of camp as well. So people are loyal to their week. Some 4-H'ers went first week. Some went second week. I was a second week 4-H'er. And so I just always went second week and was always a bear. That was the group that I was in. And then as you got older, um, the program director could name you in a leadership role. And so I actually got to do that. It was really awesome, really big honor to do. And travel in those groups, you have meetings with those groups. It's very much more I would say a relational camp than just a regular, you know, let's go and do our activities camp. You sit with them at council circle, you do song skits and yells. There's a lot of competition, just a lot more building of bonds, I think, which is probably why, and I was going to talk about this later, but it's very generational. So I am a third generation 4-H member. My grandfather went to 4-H camp, that same 4-H camp in the 50s. My mom and dad actually met at 4-H camp. In fact, my mom served as a camp nurse one week and she was pregnant with me. So 4-H camp in Delaware like runs through my blood and my veins. Now this year, my son got to go for the second year in a row. So we have generation upon generation that is returning to that camp. So there's a lot of groundedness and connectedness to that camp. Um, Whereas... You know, sometimes when you just go, as I'm comparing it to Tennessee camp, a kid might go one year and have the best year ever, but doesn't ever come back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
So you asked about council circle, the way council circle looks, and I could probably talk about this all night, but I'll just take you through a brief council circle. Come in, you sit with your group, the program director starts up. It's about dusk. It's not quite dark yet. And then you start, the song leader will start off with some songs, a lot of upbeat songs, and then we'll slow it down for a little bit as we start to light the fire and a lot of inspiration. The program leader will tell stories, we'll sing some slower songs, and then we'll get back and we'll put that beat back up and we'll get into like the competing for, you know, who has the best song, Skit and Yale. And we do that until everyone gets an opportunity to do that. And then... We slow it back down and we do those slow songs to kind of get them ready to like go off to bed for the night. So we do that every single night except for Wednesday. And then Friday night is high council. It's very much a very solemn time. There's a lot of tradition behind it. The atmosphere around you, the environment, the sounds, I mean, everything, just everything in it is just magical is really the only word that I can even describe it to. So it sounds like more than just a final campfire it's been generational it's something you guys have really worked the kinks through it's an experience unlike any other yeah that would describe it pretty (laughs) (laughs) i have been like like i've you probably figured out i've been to a lot of other camps and i've not been able to replicate that feeling anywhere i've gone wow Mm. You said that your son just went to that camp. So I'm assuming that that camp is still alive and running today. Have you been back yourself? Well, he got to go to Tennessee's 4-H camp with me. We are talking about letting him go. Yes, it is still going. In fact, I get to go this weekend. We're having alumni reunion, um, (gasps) 75th anniversary. I'm on the committee. I get to do flag lowering. I'm super excited about it. And when we do our camp reunion, we literally take people that are from the... 40s, 50s, all the way up. Every generation is invited to come back and we take them through a day at camp. So you get to do the group meetings, you get to play volleyball, you get to reminisce. They bring out all the photos and all the old tradition regalia. And then you get to do a high council and you get to go through it all. And it's amazing. I've been to a few. I got to go as one when I was still a counselor. They had one. And then I went to one a couple years ago, but this is the 75th anniversary. So they are really doing it up for this year. Wow, that's exciting. Are you driving out there? I'm actually flying because it is about a 14-hour drive for me, but it is about two-hour plane ride, so I'm going to fly out for the weekend. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. I hope that you have just an incredible time and that you're able to connect with so many people out there, and oh, I love that for you so much. That'll be so wonderful. I'm so excited. Well, the, I kind of had some other questions for you sure. about the 4-H experience. If you I am absolutely yours to just ask away and I'll yeah. do the best I can, you know, just in regards to my own experience. There's, like I said, lots of different people have different 4-H experiences. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I am currently in Washington. And while I was out at this Girl Scout camp out here, one had previous 4-H experience as well. And I was asking them about the differences between Girl Scouts and 4-H. And the biggest thing that they said was the leadership roles. And you had briefly kind of mentioned that earlier too. You got a leadership role as a camper. Could you kind of walk through and describe what your leadership role was? What are some other leadership roles that campers are given and what kind of sets those apart? Yeah. So at 
4-H camp in Delaware, like I said, we're separated into our groups. And so kind of like how you would have a captain or a co-captain for a sports team, you have what we called a voice and an echo. So the voice of the group is like the captain and the echo is the co-captain. So basically what it is, is the program director looks at who in that group would be the best representation to serve in those roles for the week. And once you become the echo, then the next year you automatically get to return as a voice. So the year that I got chosen, I was really young. Like they look at kids around the ages of 15 to 19. And generally speaking, they are a little bit older, 16, 17, 18. I was 15 when I got chosen. And let me just tell you, I was not prepared at all to be chosen at a young age. I was super shy. I'm not an introvert. I'm more of an ambivert, but like, I kind of still have to like come out of my shell a little bit. And so I was completely unprepared and just didn't really feel like I deserved it because there were some older campers that had been there that got passed over and I felt really guilty about it. But luckily I had a really good counselor that year that, you know, saw the leader in me and kind of encouraged me to step out and say, you know, you were selected for this. Like, He could have chosen anyone else and he didn't. So that was a really important part in my journey to becoming a leader. The other leadership roles that are there, we have something for a younger, not younger, younger, but around the age of like 12 to 14, they give the job of host. And since it's such a smaller camp, we eat in a family style. So you sit down at dinner And the host sits at the head of the table and they're the ones who pass the food around and lead the grace and everything. Like that's the step up, I guess. And I mean, we have had people who were named echoes and then for whatever reason couldn't come back the next year. And so then they they didn't get an echo year. And so I know that that has to be hard for that person because they don't kind of get that whole year before summer to prepare. But I mean, you get some really good leaders out of that as well. So I've kind of seen the pros and cons on that one. Yeah, absolutely. So does everybody get a leadership role or is it just certain people that show initiative? It's certain people that show initiative. So there's um, four groups and that would mean eight people for that week. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Does 4-H have like a counselor and training program or anything, or does this kind of help them build those leadership skills that would then transfer over to being staff? Um, So the counselor and training program is, that's not really the name of it. Like our junior leaders are people in the county that are between the ages of 12 to 18 who serve in leadership roles. They may be leaders in their club, their local club. And once they get to become a leader in their club, like an officer, a president, vice president, and so on, um, they're invited to come to junior council. So those would be the opportunities for kids to then go and be, I guess, counselors in training would be the proper term um, for our younger member weekend and our younger member retreats and our day camps and those types of things. There's a really big difference between those county things and the statewide camp. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for for explaining that for us. Sure. Okay, well, before I move on from leadership 
roles or anything. Was there anything else you wanted to say before I ask a completely different question? Oh, no, I think I think I covered it. I'm trying to cover it as much as possible, being that, it, like I said, it's really hard to describe. You haven't been a part of it and can't really see the things mm-hmm. I've seen, but I hope I'm doing a good job of, of <laughs> explaining it in a way that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you had mentioned earlier about songs, skits, and yells as a part of your council. So I'd love you to kind of dive into that a little bit of what that kind of looks like. So every night that we have council circle, we have a song, the group prepares a song, a skit, and a yell. So a song is just any song. A lot of times they'll take popular songs and remix them and add their own little twist to them for the group or we have notebooks. So we have records of song skits and yells from like years and years and years past. So they might go back and do a song that was an older song. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of records. I mean, we have our counselor book. So our counselors are called Big Feet. And that book we were just talking about this weekend, actually, that book is so large because it has probably records all the way back to the like 60s of songs now gets and yells that's incredible i was wondering like how have you guys been able to do this for generation after generation it's like well because you keep track of things Mm -hmm. because you frequently go back and you're like oh yeah my ancestors are so and so did this and it's been at this camp for 40 50 years let's bring it back and right oh my gosh it's never occurred to me to record a final campfire or to record anything like that. Like besides just like keeping track of people's names and contact addresses and everything. We have records. When you become a voice, so after the voice of that current year finishes their job, they pass the notebook for the group onto the Echo. So the Echo gets to keep that notebook for the whole year. And they can either use stuff from before. They can come up with new things, new songs, new skits, new yells. And it gets passed down every year. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So it doesn't always have to be brand new. It can be something borrowed or something used in the past, but it has to be decided upon the group to be able to do. Now, is a yell like a chant then? It is. Uh It's it's like a chant. It would be, you know, like any chant you hear it for any camp probably. Okay. That's fun. Comedic type of, I mean, it's a skit. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Camps definitely do those. Now, do yeah. you incorporate storytelling at all? So our camp director does infuse some storytelling. I know you mentioned that your Delaware camp, you're still strongly tied to. You're the third generation camper at this camp and that you don't quite have the same setup in Tennessee. Are you wanting to kind of incorporate some of those things in your Tennessee camp experience or the ways that they're set up are just so different I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. It really is just so different. So when you go to camp in Delaware, you can go when you're 10 and then you age out at 19. With 4-H camp here in Tennessee, we have different camps. We have junior camp, which is our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Then we have a whole nother week of camp, which is junior high camp, which you can choose as a sixth grader if you want to go to junior high or junior, but then also seventh and eighth graders. And then we have like specialty camps. So we have a shooting sports camp for those kids that are involved in that discipline. This year I got to attend a culinary camp. You got a theme. So this year our theme was Jamaican food. So we were broken up into different groups and 
my team had to cook, you know, a certain thing. And then we had a big feast. And then the next day we had to do pies and tailgate recipes. Um, and then the day after that, we did an iron chef challenge where they were given, you know, certain ingredients and they had to make something and they couldn't have my help as the leader. They had to do it all themselves. So that's a little different. We also have OWLS camp, which is stands for Outdoor Wildlife Leadership and Service Camp. That is one that's more rustic, more like tent camping. It land between the lakes between Tennessee and Kentucky. And that one is more like fishing, kayaking, kind of down to the nitty gritty of going camping. Oh, we also have Line and Design Camp. So that's a camp that's another specialty camp that's for kids who are interested in things like sewing and crafting and art so there's kind of just different specialty things and it also depends on the region that you're in we're divided into three regions and so the eastern region and the central region will have some different camps compared to our region which is the western region so it just kind of depends on where you are it's just a very different setup they've never had the methodology of mixing kids together like we do at home and so i just don't know I mean, I think it would work, but it would really take a lot of work to do to get to that point because it's just always been the way it is. And it's really hard to come in as a outsider a little bit and be like, hey, this is how I did camp. You know, I'm not saying it's better, but it was a lot of fun. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's kind of you to also go in like that and understand, you know, you bring a lot to the table and even though it's the same organization it operates completely differently do you work with a lot of people who grew up in that area then I do yeah a lot of people come from Tennessee grew up in that tradition do have other people I actually got to be on staff he's recently left and gone back to his home state and I'm so sad but he actually grew up in Georgia 4-H and their 4-H center is just incredible it's large it's called Rock Eagle And we would talk about the similarities that our camps had with one another. Let's be honest. We would talk about how there's probably some things that our camps did, our home camps did that Tennessee might could do that might be a little bit different and better. But, you know, when you come into something that is not yours exactly, you don't want to ruffle any feathers and you still want to make it great for the kids. And it's not to say that, Tennessee's 4-H camp doesn't have its own greatness to it it's just it was not it's not my experience you know right I totally get that and it sounds like it's still a very successful program oh it absolutely is and there's just so much more as well being a bigger state too I mean we have I think it would almost be impossible to have a state camp because there's 95 counties where where I grew up you know we might have had 150 to 200 kids at our state camp because there's three counties. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't have thought about that either. Yeah, coming from I think, a large state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's just logistics, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then would you say that 4-H is still very prevalent um, in all of the states? Or do is it kind of like, I know that like Girl Scouts also is kind of privy to this as well. Like Girl Scouts is very popular in certain areas and then not so much in other areas. Or is your presence pretty much all all across the board? We have um, we have 4-H agents in all 95 of our counties. And I don't really know how they do it in different states. But I was always told growing up that if I wanted to be a 4-H agent, I could get a job in any state in any county because everyone has a county extension office where their 4-H agent is placed out of. 
And so I think it probably comes down to who the agent is and what they're willing to do in their county. I'm on a group on Facebook that people come and say, hey, I want to get my child involved in 4-H, you know, can I have some information? My first comment basically is, have you contacted your county extension agent and talked to your 4-H agent? Oftentimes the answer is no, but then sometimes the answer is yes, I've been calling and I can't get any information. So I really Mm -hmm. do think it's down to the person that is in that county. We're the largest youth organization in the country with about 2.6 million youth. So I think it's there. I think as we make a switch from seeing a lot of our more rural areas become more populated, that means that we as agents then have to look at our needs and assess those and see, okay, this isn't working for my program anymore. What can I do? Because 4-H innately started out as a club for rural youth who lived out in farms and, you know, worked in canned tomatoes and, you know, worked out in the fields. We've had to change. I think that we've done a pretty okay job of doing that. You know, we do in our county and the county that I work in is very much becoming more urban army installation there with Fort Campbell. I actually just read an article the other day about it and it's the sixth in the nation for growth. The city is like the most growth. Yeah. We're seeing a lot more of, you know, shops and tourism and those kinds of things. I mean, we still have the areas that are rural. We still have farms. They're just dwindling. But even still, I mean, 4-H alone, only about 2% of 4-H youth even live on farms anymore. So, you know, we just kind of roll with the punches and do what we can to make sure that all our kids have something that they're interested in. And if we can't do it and we're not the expert in that particular area, that's when we reach out to our community and say, hey, we have kids that are interested in this topic, but we're not experts. How about, you know, we need some volunteers who can come and we get those people trained. They do have a pretty extensive training process, but then once we get them trained, they can be in the counties and helping us to provide that programming for kids. Wow, that's incredible. This is my ignorance of 4-H, and I apologize for that. Do they have a system where if they do complete a program that they earn like a patch or a bead or or like a certificate that they've gained more confidence in these skills or anything like that? So we have what's called a portfolio that you complete. So every year when you do a project area, whatever that project area is, you pick. In Tennessee, we have 28 project areas ranging from anything animal science that you can think of to STEM, entrepreneurship, clothing and textiles, computers and technology, performing arts and recreation, outdoor recreation. There's just kind of a slew of different things. But whatever you pick your project to be, we have a portfolio and you keep all the records of everything that you've done in that project. And then you submit that project to the state for judging. And then once it's judged, there are scholarships you can win. You can also win a trip to National 4-H Congress. So there's not really a badge. When I was growing up in 4-H and would do a portfolio, we did get pins. I did clothing and textiles and childcare. At least in my county, that's not really a huge thing. And the other county that I worked in prior to this county, we didn't do pins. There is an option. Like you can go to the National 4-H Mall online and buy pins for kids that completed their portfolio or did excellent project work. But we do get like ribbons. Very cool. Do campers at camp have an opportunity to work on outdoor-based projects or projects that they signed up for that align with their program at camp? Not so much. We do have a bead system at camp. Okay. But but that's more just 
that you tried a new activity. Like, hey, I went to the zip line today. I get a zip line bead. Or we have one that's like a magical bead called stump the staff. So you have to be able to stump the staff with some type of joke or riddle or something like that. And if you stump the staff, then you get a special bead. So there's just like different beads that you can do there, but they don't equate to anything outside of camp, I guess. Oh my goodness. Well, I just came back from a camp that also uses a bead system and it was my first time ever doing the bead system. And by golly, I was going to leave with all the beads that I could (laughs) because I was only there for one week. And so I was like getting up early in the morning and working on the beads, you know, as a 30 year old individual, because <laughs> pony beads mean a lot. They do. They absolutely do. <laughs> do you mind just like saying what some of the other beads were that you could get? Oh goodness. Well, you could get one at every station that you went to. So there was a bead for the craft house, the t-shirt shop, the canteen, the challenge course, the zip line the rifle range, the archery range. We have two programs that are grant programs that run out of our camp. One's called Health Rocks and one's called Healthy Living. And they each had a bead. You could get a bead at the pool. There was the Stump the Staff one. There was also, oh, a wildlife. Our wildlife room had a bead. Creek Stomping, that was one bead. Just like everything within the sessionals that you rotated in. And then just some various other ones. There's a service bead that you could win if an agent or a counselor or staff member saw that you were giving some type of service, you could win a service bead. Or there was also a spirit bead if you were, you know, exhibited good 4-H spirit throughout the week. Wow. Were there like counselor or staff only beads too? I don't believe so because our staff at the camp are staffed for the whole summer. So they just run sessions like just run the stations if that makes sense oh yeah Mm -hmm. okay they play more of like a facilitator role yeah yeah they're more like activity specialists I guess is is the proper term yeah that's kind of the role that I have currently with the councils that I work for which is very different than like a cabin counselor that you would be at a resident camp so I totally get that well thank you for for walking all through that All right, Camp Kids, that was Katie. Make sure to contact them if you have any questions and to check out all the links in the show notes. If you are enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Let's keep our Camp Kids community growing by spreading it to others who are also a part of the camp community. Please leave us a rating or review, preferably a five-star rating so that others can also find our podcast. Next week, I will release part two of my interview with Katie. That's all that I have for you for now, but remember that this is good night and not goodbye.